This is the Inside Cloud Channel podcast. I'm your host, Segert van der Linden. And we're back. Five new episodes of the Inside Cloud Channel podcast are coming up. And these episodes are a direct follow-up on our previous ones about the Cloud Adoption Framework, or the CAF. In this series, we'll be tackling a new abbreviation, the WAF. Of course, I'm not going to do that all alone. In these episodes, I'll be joined by Insights, Carlo Caravaglia and Jurien Uitenboogaard. Welcome back, guys. Hello, welcome back. Thank you. Well, Jurien, first one's up to you. What's the, what's the WAF? Well, the WAF, it's another framework, uh, which is um, uh, providing guidance for uh, public cloud. And uh, you already said it in your introduction. Uh, we firstly did the CAF, the Cloud Adoption Framework, and the WAF, that's the Well-Architected Framework. So it's a framework which provides guidance and, and best practices around, well, what's in the name, uh, well-architected uh, solutions on Azure. So, so is it something you can use uh, after you've used the CAF or is it something you use uh, together? Well, of course, before you're going to architect and you know, you walk through the first phases of the, the cloud adoption framework, but uh, there's some overlay in the framework, absolutely going to notice that overlay in uh, the frameworks in the, the coming episodes um, but we're going to take it step by step this series so the first episode is naturally about step one cost optimization and is that more than just setting up a budget and keeping to it yeah definitely <clears throat> because if you think in setting up budget and keeping is more cost control than cost optimization which is still good and this to happen, but cost, cost optimization is more to be sure that all the resources that you're running in Azure or the workload that you're running in Azure are working as much as optimized as possible, which that means just giving a couple of examples, uh, let's say in a normal VM, maybe to have a VM right sized for the workload, because we see with, with also at the event we did in the past, also we did kind of service. And for many reasons, I'm not going to explain now, uh, there are on-prem providers that use like 5, 10, top one was 12% average usage of the CPU of the, of the resource of the, of the VM. So it means that more than 90% is always there idle, sitting, doing nothing, which in the cloud is, of course, uh, you would pay a lot for that. So you need to have the right sizing for the resources. And also this comes for maybe things like overall TCO, where maybe you want to use for the same workload different ways or different approach in Azure. For example, let's say a SQL database. Uh, usually you put a VM, you put some middleware, you put the uh, SQL server, you put uh, then finally the data and the application that connected the data. Uh, but maybe you want to use Azure SQL because instead to have it to maintain page control, the VM itself, which in theory, it's something that you don't really care because you care about the data and the application. You want that that be done to from someone else. So you want to that that Microsoft does that for you. So you just focus on application and data. So you save you save money on uh, people on your company. So there is multiple layers of approach on cost uh, optimization. Uh, and then at the end, of course, you you want to put some cost control in order to have budgets and alert to see that everything you set up is actually following down that road and is not going wild somewhere else. No, no. So so if I hear you correctly, uh, Carlo, it, that sounds like the moving to the cloud or having parts of your business in the cloud is always going to save you money. Is that true? 
Uh, no, <laughs> because uh, of course it depends on how you go to the cloud, how to design. So also to uh, retake what you did before, um, you can have two scenarios. So you're studying brand new to the cloud. So you're studying a greenfield deployment. So it's where in the case, maybe you approach with the CAF cloud adoption framework, because it's, it's something you build from scratch. So you need to properly uh, uh, plan, design and build uh, and etc. Or maybe you are in a scenario, actually, there's a lot of this kind of scenario. Maybe you approach the cloud by yourself and you try this and you try that and you finally end to have production environment in the cloud. And that's more the case where the uh, WAF uh, applies, the web application, the, well, yeah, web application, the web adoption framework applies uh, because it applies to already existing environment and optimize in the best way possible that, that environment. And if you poorly design and approach a cloud, you even might end in paying more because I also use always the example. Usually people compare Banana with apples because they say, okay, let's see if you go to the cloud and I have my server has eight core, 60 gigabyte of RAM, let's take the same size in, in, in Azure. But at the end of the day, if you do that, you would pay more because um, as I said before, actually that workload in there is consuming much less. So you should have a small VM and etc. And of course, as the topic before, if you don't have cost control in a on-prem scenario, you have some physical boundaries, which are your physical data center. So you pay for that and you cannot exceed that amount of resources that you already paid. And actually you don't care how much resources you put in there. In the cloud, it's different. So you pay the second you use the uh, specific resources. So having proper governance helps you to uh, not afford to receive a suspiciously high invoice because yeah, you just have <laughs> something uh, that is not uh, uh, really needed. I get it. There are some costs, and I think the, most of the costs you can expect on forehand. Um, but there are always unknown factors, um, a cost you didn't expect to be making in forehand. How do you take that into account when designing your cloud architecture? Yeah, it always sounds a bit odd if you say um, that are unforeseen costs or hidden costs. Um, you know, if you make a design, um, so based on your desired business outcome and you have created a plan and you have created uh, your landing zone and you start deploying your resources over there. Um, if the architecture, the architectural design is uh, is good. So if you have followed the uh, the WAF in combination with GAF, then there won't be um, unforeseen costs, but there can be un unexpected costs. So, uh, you know, if, if an architect is creating an environment with virtual machines, uh, SQL database, uh, et cetera, et cetera, then that architect should know which uh, costs are involved with creating a virtual machine within that specific scenario. But of course, if you, there are tons of options to configure a VM or a specific solution like a data warehouse, for example. So if you uh, don't follow the well-architected framework uh, guidelines in order to monitor your costs and put alerts on, uh, on specific resource groups or on specific resources, it can happen that costs you know, just go quickly out of control. So that's possible. That's, uh, that's, I would rather say that you have unexpected costs rather than uh, unforeseen cost or unknown cost or hidden costs. 
Yeah, yeah. So, but but does it ever go wrong? <laughs> I mean, I'm looking Lots. for stories here. You, 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 we can learn from mistakes. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, we had a discussion. We were in uh, in a call yesterday, Carlo and I, and um, yeah, we we touched base on that example last year because it, it showed out of the figures again. But um, yeah, we had a customer once, I think, somewhere in early 2020, um, who set up an Azure Data Warehouse solution. Uh, I'm not going to call. I'm not going to call out loud their name, but um, no, let's not do that. <laughs> they were doing uh, things with uh, different resources, and they were gathering uh, and, and storing and uh, yeah, importing a lot of data out of different sources. And they want to make uh, out of the data, they want to make intelligence, and they want to make up um, a specific feeling about their product within uh, across social media platforms. And what they did, they they created a couple of pipelines, but they didn't put a uh, threshold on it. So what they actually said is, okay, dear Azure, I have uh, tons of gigabytes of data over here. I want to make knowledge and insights out of that data. Um, and I want to have it as soon as possible. That's actually what they said. So Azure said, okay, well, I can do that. But in order to make uh, that available as soon as possible, they need a lot of compute, uh, compute power <laughs> and they were moving yeah. uh, both the data and compute uh, across networks. So I think they that we call it burn. Um, I think they burned around 30,000 euros uh, within 24 hours. So it's, yeah. Ooh, ow. Sometimes it goes wrong. And if you don't put alerts or policies on there, what they could have easily done is put an alert on that, put a budget, and if they uh, exceed a certain amount of money, the search will just cease, uh, cease running. That could be uh, a thing. So if they would have followed the WEF, then... It wouldn't have happened. <laughs> that wouldn't happen. It's, it's uh, learning, mon learning money. There's been a plenty of these kind of examples also, yeah, that you can simply at least notice before uh, uh, bad things happen or before you just notice when invoice arrives. And actually, this is a big part of governance that uh, not everyone, let's say, it is, is using, unfortunately. And there is a lot of example like example like that, which is made, let's say, in good faith. Also, another another partner again, not say the name. Um, one of the dev guys said, "Okay, Azure is nice, it's interesting. Oh, I see this Azure SQL Elastic Pool. Let's see how it works." And basically, just out of fun for testing, he created a Azure Elastic SQL Pool Enterprise eighty core, and literally did nothing. And they just realized that there was that beast running because the next month they got 50k invoice just for that. Ooh. So yeah, these things can happen. Also, of course, uh, also bad things can happen, meaning uh, malicious things, for example. And again, there's been a lot of example here, uh, account takeovers of hacking, where then, for example, crypto software gets installed on, on, on the services and... And maybe you have everything well architected. Also, we see in the next episode about uh, 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 resiliency and scalability. And it is so good that the crypto system takes all the resources and scale out in the system. So then again, you receive uh, uh, invoice, interesting invoices. These are big examples, but it also happens on, 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 a, on a smaller scale. Even It happened to myself actually as well. Um, that's a bad sales trick, by the way, you know, saying that you have, uh, you have it yourself. But in this <laughs> yeah. case, you know, it's a truth. I've got it at home. Yeah. <laughs> we have around, uh, I think it's $150 or 130 euros a month to play around in uh, some, uh, some subscriptions. 
And I actually deployed something as well. And after one and a half hours, I, I completely uh, vanished my uh, my credits for the, for the remainder of the month. So yeah, it's 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 super easy to make a mistake. So um, again, you know, I think I don't think the WEF, the well architected framework, um, it's not a, a framework that will provide you from my, how do you say how well, no uh, it, it those things happen i mean it's still it's still people uh making the decisions exactly uh, yeah. and so people are still making mistakes like we all do but we will see that in reliability as yeah. well you know it's it's things will happen but you can uh, you can use the platform and you can use the guidelines in order to notice it as as soon as possible yeah this is an interesting topic because this is also called something like blessed radius where of course 99.9% of the time, the problem is between the chair and the keyboard, we say. So you put, can put system automation system policies and whatever in order to try to keep at minimum possible the blaze radius in case something bad happened. So you, the first you notice or the more uh, restriction you put, then the better it is to handle. So again, for the example of the SQL Enterprise, maybe in there was things in place. Well, actually, if there was things in place, the guy couldn't even be able to create that thing. But let's say it was able, then in just five minute alerts everywhere would be spin off because yeah, budgeting was skyrocketing and stuff like that. So things can be prevented absolutely. Yeah. So so monitoring costs is something that's that's really important. But uh, when I'm hearing these these uh, examples, that's not always put in place correctly. Um, but, but what what does the what does Azure or the WAF offer you to to help you monitor monitor those costs? Um, before I want to say the kind of monitoring cost is kind of the last line of defense because you should and this is the part of the CAF and the WAF uh, you should have put in place also already by design a lot of uh, system to prevent uh, this happening. And so let's say once you put all this system, or always, yeah, there, there is no 100% security in a system. So always there is uh, someday something that bad happened. Then the cost in this perspective could be the last line of defense. So you see, you put place things, you put in place all the best practice that the WAF uh, provide you, but then something bad still happen. And then you can have the last line of alerting in the budgeting, the cost system, because you see that something is going offset with the, say, the, the expected, which also could be a good thing because it, it, it's something maybe you have a, a, a online web shop and the, the, the VMs and the services that held the web shop are scaling up, but that just means that more people are coming to the web shop. So that's fine. But also could be that something not good is happening. So uh, yeah, you have that kind of last line to have at least a warning tells you something's happened here. Please have a look. Yeah, and a broader perspective. Um, you know, you, you I think you were asking uh, how the web and how the platform provides uh, guidance or assistance in you know in order to to monitor uh, your cost optimization. Um, I think. The ones that are using Azure at this moment, they are familiar with Azure Advisor, and it's in the name again. But Azure Advisor is a, it's an advisory uh, AI-driven tool that sounds very futuristic. It isn't, but it's you know it's providing advice around your current assets within that within that tenant. It gives you an answer on, and of course you have 
you can put different uh, uh, parameters on there, but it will give you an advice on, okay, uh, dear customer, what we see is that this bunch of, of service, the average utilization of the CPU is, a low, is, is below 10% if that's your threshold. So that would mean that you can um, shrink that machine or you can shrink that uh, the resource for, uh, for that specific workload. It also will recommend you um, uh, purchasing reserved instances to save some money on the compute power. Um, and all those kinds of things, those are um, combined in an advisory score. And of course, that advisory score could be a guideline. So if your advisory score is around 90% or 95, then you're, you're pretty okay. You're not optimized fully, but it, at least it gives an indication of where you are from an, uh, well, from an optimization point of view. But again, it's, it's, it's a recommendation, partly based on best practices, but also partly based on your own parameters there. Last question. Um, it's pretty broad. Maybe maybe I'll skip this, but I'm just gonna quite, I'm just gonna ask it. Last question. I think when you talk about cost optimization, it's easy to just focus on numbers and and saving cost and saving and saving and saving. But sometimes things just cost money, and some things are worth more than others. And uh, it does the how does the web help you keep the focus on the right requirements of your of your cloud environment? Let's start saying that. If something works more, does it really mean that you have to pay more? Uh, because you still have to optimize things. Of course, generally speaking, at the end, you might pay more because maybe if you have a very important production workload, you have that production that never stops, so you need higher SLA, so you put more things in that workload, like uh, um, uh, availability set, uh, 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 HR, and etc. So in that perspective, that will cost more, but just because you need, because it's important, a higher availability of the service. But it doesn't mean that it will just cost more just for the sake of costing more, because uh, again, you can do a lot of optimization uh, and you can uh, overall reduce uh, the cost of the service, even the cost compared to uh, M-premise deployment. And also, uh, if you think especially especially a very sensitive workload, um, you have, well, that's more the thing of the cloud, the elasticity of the cloud. You can uh, just deploy, okay, uh, just deploy one one uh, uh, one pod, one section in West Europe, then have the DR in North Europe, maybe also a 30 uh, site in, 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 in Sweden and all. Now they have a data center there. But if you think an on-premise perspective, you want to do the, the same, well, unless you already did, you have to do a lot of investment to build actually the data center and the infrastructure or to rent the infrastructure from, from various providers. In, in this case, it's just there, just a matter of right-click and, and define where to deploy, what service to put. So it's not more to have... Um, um, necessarily to pay more just because it's a more important service. It's just a question to yourself is, okay, how how important is service to me and how much SLA I need on this service? And then based on the SLA, then you just build exactly what you need for that SLA. And that, will, of course, will cover the cost. Yeah, and, and I think in, in short, you can say that um, it's, it's important not to treat it as a, a point in time uh, activity, you know, it's a process. It's an ongoing process, and I think 
uh, in the managed phase of the cloud adoption framework, we just said that, you know, you have to continuously manage and optimize and monitor your environment because um, Azure is not a, a static platform. It's a dynamic platform with new services introduced uh, pretty much every day. Uh, and a good example is also we have uh, virtual machines, which are the V3 version at the moment. So V3 stands for version three. And when there's a version four, it has at least the same compute capacity. So it's the compute is as strong as the V3 ver version, but it's always cheap because Microsoft want, wants to get rid of the old, within brackets, uh, uh, hardware. Uh, that's something. And I think if you, if you make the comparison back to your own house, because that's the analogy that we use in the cloud adoption framework. You know, if you build a house, you need a foundation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's the same with your, you know, insurance for your car, insurance for your house and all those kind of things. Once in a year, I hope that people do that or two times a year, you know, you go through your subscriptions, you go through your uh, maintenance and say, okay, what do I have to do? Can I do things cheaper? Can I do things differently? Can I exchange something for something else so it will uh, be more efficient long-term, those kind of things. So uh, the, the same is with your environment, it's dynamic. So make it a process rather than a point in time. You've been listening to the Inside Cloud Channel podcast. I'm your host, Segert van der Linden. In this five-part mini-series, we're covering the five pillars of the WEF, or the Well-Architected Framework. In the next episode, we'll discuss step two, operational excellence. I'll be joined once again by Insights Carlo Caravaglia and Jurjen Uitenboogaard. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcast platform. Want to know more about Insight and its services? That's all on insight.com. Thank you for listening and hopefully you'll join us once more in the next episode.